Oh, guess it's on now. I uh, I heard Gloria miss a note a while ago, which isn't normal for her, uh, but it reminded me that <clears throat> most of you may know by now, but she's over the last year or two she's had arthritis get into her hands pretty badly, osteoarthritis, and they they're beginning to knuckles and joints swell up, and it makes it difficult for her to play the piano. Uh, Nelson has to leave certain songs out because her fingers won't reach well enough to get there, so it causes her to miss some notes. So just a, a thought in passing to remember her in your prayers because we like good music and we appreciate her music, but I don't like bad notes caused by bad fingers. Uh, it's not, it's not her making the mistake. It's her fingers not doing what they're told. Uh, so that that's the way it is with us as we get some age on us. We uh, begin to break down in various ways. So keep that one in mind because it's it's not only difficult but it's painful sometimes with her fingers and joints. As some of you have arthritis. No, uh, it's not a fun thing to live with. Anyway, the world is still here, <laughs> barely. Uh, sun shining out here, a beautiful, lovely day. This is part of my favorite time of the year, really. Uh, the shoulder season when it's not too hot, not too cold, just nice. Uh, that comes for a short while in the spring and for a while in the fall. The fall may be actually even better in some ways than the spring. Spring, you do have new life coming out, and that's beautiful and encouraging. But at the same time, we have a lot of wind here in the spring. Uh, April, I think, is probably our windiest month, so that kind of takes from it a little bit. But they tell me we're going to have a lot of snow uh, this winter because of El Nino uh, coming through more to the south than to the north. So, uh, who knows what winter will bring. Anyway, I just heard this morning that Hezbollah has declared war on the United States. I don't know whether that can be confirmed yet or not, but uh, it was one report I read. Uh, interesting in, in the sense that nobody's fooled about Iran funding all these different Hamas, Hezbollah, and different countries through the Middle East in their hate for the United States. Uh, that we know. And nobody over there is fooled at all about who we're supporting and who we're funding. Uh, mainly Israel, but we've been funding Iran to fund Hamas and Hezbollah because we want a war over there. That's hard for my mind to accept, I guess. I know it's true. I know our leaders have sold us out. I know they want this country destroyed. And they're doing everything they can, as fast as they can, to destroy us. Opening up the border and letting terrorists from all races in, all countries, uh, destroying our finances as fast as they can, blowing up food processing plants and oil processing plants, uh, 
All these things add up. And they're not natural events. They're things that are staged and prepared on purpose. So our own leadership is trying to destroy us, and the industrial military complex wants war so bad they can hardly stand it because that's what they do. They make war. That's what they're there for in their minds. That's what justifies their existence. The Pentagon needs lots and lots of money, and if they're not at war, then they have no justification for getting all that money. So we want a war with Iran in the worst way, and we're doing everything we can to cause it. As I said, and maybe I said it last week, we didn't send half the United States fleet into the Mediterranean because of Hamas. <laughs> That's just a, a small drop in the bucket compared to the goals and purposes of the United States government and the Pentagon. And I, I hope we can grasp and understand that because I grew up with bias, believing the history books, believing that our, our government was for us and wanting to help us. And it's been, over the years, a rude awakening to realize that they aren't for us at all. They are against us, and we have a bunch of communists in there right now who are doing their best to turn us into communism and to kill us off. We've said these things, but the plan is shaping up very, very much according to the way I see Scripture, I felt for a long time Daniel 8 indicated that we would attack Iran and break their horn after having broken the one of the Medes in Iraq. Uh, and it's been a while coming on, but now they're pushing it. Uh, they'd like for Iran, I think, to fire the first shots and then go in. They were not just going to attack them preemptively, preemptively uh, but get a good excuse. And if they won't give us a good excuse, we'll create one. Because we're bound and determined to destroy Iran. <clears throat> and China and Russia and the Arabs are bound and determined to erase Israel off the map and to destroy the United States. That's their ultimate goal. We are the great Satan in the eyes of two billion or more Muslims. They hate Jews and they hate Christians. And they want all Christians and all Jews dead. That's the bottom line. And Israel would like to have all Arabs dead. <laughs> That's the bottom line. And our leaders and the billionaires of the world want nearly all of humanity dead. So everything's working toward war. Uh, and they're trying to get everybody convinced to be pro-war. We need this war. We need that war. We need another war. And they're doing everything in the press and however they can do it to show us that we need war. We need war because the Israelis are now whipping up on the Palestinians. We need war because the Palestinians whipped up on the Israelis. And we need war because China and Taiwan are about to get into it. We've always said we would support Taiwan. 
But when we're engaged in two wars already in the Ukraine and the Middle East, and just now getting going there, how are we going to go halfway around the world and fight China over Taiwan? Those countries know what they're doing. They're getting us so stretched out thin, and we're allowing it, so that they can do pretty much as they please. And that's the way Satan wants it. He wants every human being destroyed when you get down to the bottom line with him. You know, he wants no one to go into the kingdom of God. That just ties him in knots to think that God might accept people into his family and he can't be there and can't be in charge. And if he can't be there, he's going to take his ball and go home. And he'll take all of us with him if he possibly can. Our warfare is spiritual. We fight against principalities and powers of the air, and that we need to realize. Understanding prophecy is not the key to our survival. I mean prophecy in terms of dates and places and all these things that are shaping up. We should watch them, yes. We should be aware. The bottom line for us is our relationship with God and being as close to Him as we can get because He is the one who gives salvation. He is the one who forgives sins. He is the one who can help us and strengthen us and empower us with what we're going into. And very, very few people on the face of this earth have that. So we are most blessed of all people. And I hope we keep that very, very much in focus. We're blessed above all men. Uh, just knowing the true God. And knowing what He wants and how He wants it done. And then hurting our stupid selves into doing it the way He wants it done. <laughs> While Satan is pulling the other direction as far and as fast as he can... And if there's anybody on earth that he wants the worst, it's those he sees who are obeying God's ways and who have the best chance of being a part of his kingdom. Those are the ones he hates the most. And our best protection is to draw as near to God as we can get because he can't stand to be around the Spirit of God. He says, if you draw near to God, Satan will flee from you. So he's there trying to get you, and fighting him is a difficult chore if you're fighting him directly, believe me. But if you're getting close to God, that helps repel him. It's kind of like raid from mosquitoes. He doesn't like the Spirit of God. So if you have that, then while he wants to get you and have you, he doesn't want to be around the Spirit of God. It must distress him greatly when he goes before the throne of God to accuse us, because he doesn't like to be in the presence of God. And yet, he hates us so much, and he wants us not to be in the kingdom so much, that he's willing to go among the holy angels and the elders and God and Christ himself 
in order to accuse us. That's how badly he wants us to fail. And God wants even more so to see us succeed because of his great love. So as we see all these things getting worse and worse, the only protection we really have is get closer to God. That's what it's all about. So yes, keep an eye on what's going on, but the supreme effort needs to be getting close to God and building the relationship with Him. A close relationship. It's not a matter of just obeying the commandments and then God will forgive us. Because then we're kind of trying to do it all on our own. If I keep the commandments, I'll be okay. That's what the Pharisees said and didn't do too good at it. What we're trying to build is a relationship with God. He's the Father. We're the children. Christ is the older brother. We're the younger brothers and sisters. And it should be a family relationship. <clears throat> we should get to know them and draw close to them so that it feels like he's not just the ultimate ruler of the universe. Yes, we need to recognize his power, his abilities, his almightiness, all the things that he is. But at the same time, we should be part of his inner circle. He is there to share his power and strength and love and all that he is with us. And he wants it to be in a very close family relationship. I know we know this, but you need to pray to them not as just the Almighty, but pray to them as Father and Son and build a relationship just like we could and should have with our parents as children. doesn't always work out too well because parents don't know beans about what they're doing generally, and kids don't either. <laughs> but even in spite of everything, we try to be close with our children and our children with us and build a trust, a closeness, a familiarity, if you will, uh, so that when we talk to them, we're talking as if they were our own father or our own mother, our own brother. Uh, be careful what we say, just as we should with human beings. With utmost respect of a father figure or an older brother figure, utmost respect, and yet at the same time a familiarity. People have said year for years, and it's essentially true in many respects, familiarity breeds contempt. Well, that can be very true in human relationships. You get to know somebody too well and know too much about them, then you begin to look down upon them or put them down or feel... Uh, disrespect in whatever ways that informs that that takes. But too much familiarity can create problems because we are so short of what we ought to be. And therefore, human beings will pick on any uh, difficulty, any problem that they see. It's like a bunch of chickens. 
Uh, one of them gets a bloody spot, and the rest of them peck it to death. I've seen them literally peck each other to death because they see a fault there. Uh, and then they just peck at that fault until they kill the other chicken. Now, with God, it shouldn't be the same way because He is perfect and there's nothing to pick at. Familiarity with Him should only breed deeper respect and love because you're not going to find anything wrong with Him. You can with a human being, and it leads to sometimes a familiarity breeding disrespect or contempt or however far you go with it. But with Him, that should not be and really cannot be. There's just nothing there to find fault with. Satan tried to. He didn't find fault with himself. So he got self-righteous and vain and egocentric and decided he'd find fault with God. And that led to all kinds of problems. And those problems are still with us today. So don't be afraid to get close to God. You're not going to find anything there that would cause you to disrespect, but you will stand, the better you know him, the closer you get, the more awe and respect you'll have, because everything about him is awesome and respectful, just the way it is. So a little sermonette, I guess, before the sermon. <coughs> when I look at the way things are going in this world, and all these prophecies, are now in process of being fulfilled. There is no backing up now. It does not appear. Uh, we are so overcommitted in the Middle East, and Russia and China are overcommitted with us, and it's boiling down to weakening us and then waltzing in with civil war going on here. And how long do you think it would take to get a civil war going? If we had a few thousand of these terrorists start blowing things up and shooting people on the street, which a few are beginning to do, it wouldn't take long until we are shooting each other. <clears throat> and I made a comment, I think, a while back. It would be easy to see who to shoot, the ones with masks or the ones without masks. Uh, maybe that will be one way to know. But it isn't the masks or the unmasked they're really after. They're after Christians, and they're after anybody that is white, Jew, American, European. They hate them with a passion, which, is, which goes back thousands of years. This isn't something new over a little spit of sand somewhere. These things go all the way back to Jacob and Esau. They go back to uh, Jacob and Ishmael, wait a minute, Isaac and Ishmael. And Jacob and Esau. It takes me a while to get things right, but eventually, that's what we're all working on. So there's no way it's going to be solved until it all comes to a climax and a lot of people die. That's where this is going to end. And there's no stopping it, because God decreed it. And I think we've seen now two of the eclipses that confirm it. And... In a sense, all hell's breaking loose after that second uh, 
eclipse. What's the third going to bring? Alpha and the Omega. We shall see. Anyway, back in Deuteronomy 12, I got down to verse 14. I got onto different things last week and didn't get very far, but let's see what happens today. Verse 14, he's talking here about the Feast of Tabernacles, the other holy days, and where to go to keep them. I think it was, was at Bethel. I think he had them go at first when they went into the land. And then later he changed it to Jerusalem. And uh, that's where it's been supposed to be really ever since. Trouble is we can't find Jerusalem. But uh, that's another story. I, I laid that one on somebody just yesterday. I said, well... The abomination can't be set up until Jerusalem and the temple are built. And it says you've got 70 weeks to build, the, build Jerusalem. And I says, we, but if it's in the Middle East, we've got a Jerusalem in the way. How are you going to build what's there? Kind of a pause. <laughs> well, it must be going to be destroyed. And then we can build. So... People just do not want to face the idea that it could be anywhere else but over there. And I understand that, so I didn't push it too hard. It doesn't do any good to just push and push and push on people uh, for something that their mind has already rejected and is not going to change on, no matter how much information and facts you give them, because their mind is made up. Don't confuse me with the facts. <laughs> Anyway, in the place of the true Jerusalem is where we're to keep the feast. That's the place he's chosen. Uh, in one of your tribes, there you shall offer your burnt offerings, and there you shall do all that I command you. Notwithstanding, you may eat, kill, or you may kill and eat flesh in all your gates, Whatsoever your soul desires, according to the blessing of the eternal your God, which he has given you, the unclean and the clean may eat thereof. <coughs> so they still looked upon Gentiles as unclean, but he said the unclean and the clean people could eat of the things that they desired. But then he says, of the things which he has given you for food. And he makes it clear what he has given and what he has not given for food. Uh, he says, the, the unclean and the clean may eat thereof, as of the roebuck, or the deer and the elk, put it in modern terms of animals we have around. Uh, here's a good case for hunting. I don't care what the anti-hunters say. Uh, these are wild animals, and they can be killed and be eaten. Only you shall not eat the blood thereof. You shall pour it upon the earth as water. <coughs> You'll say more about that here in a moment. You may not eat within your gates uh, the tithe of your corn, your wine, your oil, or the firstlings of your herds or of your flock nor any of your vows which you vow uh, to give to God, whatever they might be, <coughs> nor your free will offerings or the heave offerings of your hands. 
This is only at feast time. You have to eat during the rest of the year, don't you? Within your gates, within your house. <coughs> but this is referring to the feast, and that's backed up by other scriptures as well. So this is discussing second tide here, essentially. But you must eat them before the eternal your God in the place which the eternal your God shall choose. You, your son, your daughter, your main servant, a manservant, maidservant, and the Levite that is within your gates. And you shall rejoice before the eternal your God in all that you put your hands to. The feasts are to be joyous times, rejoicing times. Why? Because they're there to worship the king the great God, and He rules the universe, rules it beautifully, and created everything here that we have, and can look, see, feel, hear, smell, or enjoy in any form. He put it all here, and we're up there to give Him thanks, to give Him honor, to give Him worship for all that He is and has done. So he wants us to use the second tithe in order to enjoy before him in worship and rejoicing the things that he has given us. That's why he instituted it. It's so that when we go, we have more than our normal amount to rejoice with. You save that money back and then you spend it uh, on good things to eat, not just everything out of the grocery store that you might lust after, and there's a difference there between desiring something that's good for you and lusting after things that aren't. Now, desire is a better translation here than whatever you lust for. Lust implies something that's illegal for you. And to spend second tithe on food and drink is not illegal, so therefore it is not under the uh, term of lust. Lust is something illegal that you should not have. So desire, whatever you desire, uh, whether it be beer or elk or beef or whatever that's clean and good, but you know, sometimes we get to the feast and, oh, I don't ever eat any of these, Here's these candy bars and these marshmallows and there's these this and all this stuff. This processed food made with absolute junk and full of chemicals. But during the feast, oh my, I can have some of this, this, and this because I desire it. No, if it's an illegal thing that's not good for you, and anything that really is not good for you is unclean to you. If it destroys your body, if it's not good for it, it tends to make you unhealthy and sick, then God doesn't want you having that. And therefore, if you desire it, it is illegal lust for something your body should not have. And boy, are we full of that idol in this nation today. It is an idol. Because God tells us to take care of our bodies, to only give them that which is good for them, and to be healthy, and he wished above all things, Paul, that we be, uh, now I can't say it, in good health was half of it, prosper and be in health. 
help is very, very important. But you see, we don't always consider what God made and made it in a form that is good for us. We look at what man has made and it tastes good to us, sweet or whatever it is that we like. And we go for that, which actually in the long term is destroying our body little by little, little by little. One bowl of ice cream was full of junk and processed sugar is not going to kill you probably. But if you have one every day, given time, it will erode your health. Or whatever it is that you have the munchies for that are not good for you. See, we have to face idol worship on a lot of different levels. We're not worshiping the devil, Satan, in the way that the world is. And especially those who think they want to be in charge of the world. But we face idol worship in so many, many ways. Materiality is one of them. Incessant quest for money is an idol. And Christ said you can't serve one and the other. you got to serve one or the other. Not wrong to make a living. Not wrong to have money. Not wrong to even have quite a bit of money. Abraham, God made rich, among others. But if that's our quest, if that's our desire, if that's what we lust after, then we're putting time and energy into that that ought to be going to God. That makes it an idol. It even says there in Colossians that uh, covetousness is idolatry. If you break the last commandment and desire things that are illegal for you, then that is idolatry because you're putting that desire for something. Whether you do it or not, <coughs> covetousness is not the actual sin. Covetousness is a desire to do it. And putting that desire ahead of God <clears throat> breaks the first commandment because we're putting it in some form or fashion ahead of what he says is the right thing to do. And you can break it right down to food and drink. And any time a preacher starts talking about what you stuff in your body, he's done quit preaching and started meddling. I understand that. But idolatry knows no bounds. <laughs> And we need to be very, very careful what we put in our bodies. It's been a rule here. I don't know if everybody knows it or not, but it's a rule I made 20 years ago and have rehearsed once in a while to the ladies in the kitchen or whatever. If somebody brings in some pre-made desserts from the store, just don't put them out. Just leave them back. Uh, if you want to eat junk at home, that's between you and God. But I have a responsibility to make sure the church does not officially offer you junk. That's where my responsibility comes. If I say we'll have a potluck, that is an official thing that we can do. But we need to stay within God's rules in terms of what we serve at that potluck. It needs to be good food. 
And I'm telling you, you go through a grocery store, and most everything there is unclean. It's hard to find good food. You can just do the best you can. But be sure you're doing the best you can, not just saying, oh, well, it's all junk anyway, no matter what I have. Do the best you can with what there is to do with, is the principle and the key. So make sure you're doing that. And it needs to be in your personal life as well, because serving God and doing things that are good for your body is His desire, and that is His will. And you need to make that your will to take care of yourself the best you can. Not be lazy about it. Because all the things that we desire, sometimes they're worse for us than pigs. On a pure physical level, they're worse than pigs. People have eaten pigs and other unclean animals for 6,000 years and weren't too much bothered by it. It's when we started processing foods and putting chemicals in foods that cancer and diabetes and heart trouble and all these things began to be common and more than common. So, which has done, just on a purely physical level is what I'm talking about. Most of the stuff over at Bees is worse for you and your body than pig is on a purely physical level. Now, on a spiritual level, these animals represent spiritual uncleanness in the New Testament, not just physical uncleanness, because we don't declare any man common or unclean, as Peter was clearly shown. But he didn't make unclean animals unclean, because we still need to recognize spiritual uncleanness. And that physical uncleanness of meat is one thing that reminds us of it. But we need to also understand that anything that's harmful to our bodies, we need to avoid. And when you know that and understand that, and you reach for something that you know is full of pollutants and chemicals and junk, and you know that it's going to have a certain amount of harm to your body, then is when you say, well, I worship my appetite and my human desire for this, or will I put it back? and take care of my body that God has given me governance over. We're to be good stewards of everything He gives us, and our body is fearfully and wonderfully made, and it is something that we are to be the greatest stewards over. And if we are not good stewards of our body and our health and our minds, the whole package, then how is Christ going to come back and say, well, you've produced fivefold, tenfold, a hundredfold. You've been a good steward of what I've given you. Or will he come back and see a dilapidated, barely operating, 
thing we still call our body and say, you've done a wonderful job. Thank you. Have tenfold or a hundredfold. Well, the only point I'm really making here is God made us a steward of our own self. We're to govern our minds, we're to govern our bodies, we're to govern our appetites. And that's a tough thing to do, and it's a tough thing to do when this world and Satan has put everything that is bad for us right in front of us. It doesn't stop with cigarettes or drugs or too much alcohol, but it goes on into the food range. What? Should you eat that's good for you. So, I know you can say these things and people go ahead and do what they want. I understand that. But I'm clear before God if I say it. I have a responsibility to Him to say it whether you believe it and follow it or not. Then it's not on my head, it's on your head what you do with it. So, My job is to cry aloud and spare not. Your job is to swallow your vanity, your ego, and your selfishness and do what you ought to do. We all have our jobs to do. And we need to respond to God. And drawing close to Him is done by how we handle what we have to handle. Our work, our food, our mates, our children, whatever we have that has come from Him, we have a responsibility to handle as well as we possibly can. And do it the way God would do it. How does a father treat a son or a daughter? How does Christ treat His bride? Do it the way they do it, And that will draw you closer to them because you're walking and acting and talking like they do. It's really, really hard to be good friends. If if you're not a drug addict or an alcoholic, it's really hard to be a friend with someone who is. Because they're thinking differently, they're not taking care of their bodies, they're misusing and abusing, and their attitudes will go along with it. And if you're trying to think and do what's right and you're around people who don't, then you're going contrary to Scripture where very clearly it said, our fellowship is not with the world. Our fellowship is with God and with each other. And we have to be very careful of our relationship with people in the world and not get too close to them because they are not of God and the closer we get to them, the further we get from God. And it's automatic. It's just automatic. So you have to stay away from that which is evil, not be around it, and then you have a chance of overcoming the evil that already is in you by the nature, by human nature. So we go before God to rejoice and eat clean things, eat good things. And you have extra money there to spend a little extra for that which is maybe even better than you can afford on a daily basis. Rejoice before God with the things that God approves. That helps you worship Him. It helps you get along with Him.
Now, where was I, was I down here? The deer and the elk are okay. Don't eat the blood. Uh, take it to the place where God chooses. Uh, I got to verse 19. Take heed to yourself that you forsake not the Levites as long as you live upon the earth. When the eternal your God shall enlarge, enlarge the border. Now, he gave them a, a restricted area in Joshua's day. Uh, an area the size of about Provo down to the Grand Canyon where the waters of Strife are and over into Nevada and east of Bryce Canyon a bit. That's as big as it was. He apportioned that land and, and gave them so much of it and, and laid it out for them. But God said that he might enlarge the border. So he expanded, as he said, the border to include the whole nation, sea to sea, uh, was what we have today that he has given us. So when he enlarges it, as he has promised you, you shall say, I will eat flesh because your soul longs to eat flesh. You may eat flesh, whatsoever your soul desires, if the place which the eternal your God has chosen to put his name there be too far from you, then you shall kill of your herd and of your flock, which the Eternal has given you, as I have commanded you, and you shall eat in your gates whatsoever your soul desires for. Now that's within the limits of clean and unclean, not anything that it might desire. Uh, anything clean that is God approved that you desire. And you have some choices among the clean and unclean uh, birds, animals, fish. He stipulates which ones are okay, and then whatever you desire of those, you can eat. Some people don't like salmon, they like tuna. Some people don't like trout, they like another fish that has fins and scales. If they like catfish, uh, no, there's no fins and scales there. So if your desire is for catfish, forget it. Even as the deer and the elk is eaten, so you shall eat them. The unclean and the clean shall eat of them alike. So we're talking about clean and unclean people here eating of clean things. Only be sure that you eat not the blood. And here he will explain that. For the blood is the life, and you may not eat the life with the flesh. Life is a very fleeting thing. Life is a very precious thing. We breathe, our blood circulates, and the blood keeps us alive. If you start draining your blood out, it isn't long before other bodily functions stop, and you can't breathe anymore, and you're dead. The life is not in the air, the life is in the blood. And he wants us to respect life. The abortionists do not respect life. The world's elites who want mankind dead do not respect life. They're willing to shed the blood all over the place. So God says the blood in that sense is sacrosanct. Don't eat that. Pour it on the ground. Respect the life of that animal. There are people who are so bizarre 
that they think you can't love animals if you eat them. <laughs> you know, I like cows. I like goats. I like horses, but I don't eat them. But I can like an animal, and I can still kill an animal to eat. How is that? People have trouble. You're either, you're either for them, and you won't kill anything for any reason, or you're against them, and you'll kill everything in sight. I had some people at a bed and breakfast we had up in Alaska before we came back south. And I had heads on the walls like I do here. And we had people come in from New York, a couple of ladies. Oh, how can your husband kill these animals? Oh, it's just so awful. How can he? I wasn't there, obviously. How can he do this? Well, I said, well, I hunt too. I'm surprised they didn't leave. Uh, they were so adamant about it, but they'd already paid for the room, so they stayed. <clears throat> but people get so uptight about these things. I feel sad when I have to kill an animal. I don't enjoy that. Uh, sometimes it needs to be done. So you do what needs to be done, but I don't enjoy it, and I feel sorry for the animal. One of the most Emotional things that I can remember in my life was I had a pet goat. I had been there when it was born. I had played with that goat. It ran to me when I went to the barn. We were a lot closer than I was to my brother. I loved that animal. He grew some beautiful big horns. Just a magnificent animal. And one day my dad strung it up by the hind feet and cut its throat right in front of me. And I was just almost beyond comprehension, emotionally uptight. And I stood there with tears running down my cheeks, manly boy that I was. And then I watched his eyes begin to go dull until they weren't bright anymore and went completely dull. I wasn't very old. I don't know, seven, eight, nine, ten, whatever it was. But I remember that as clearly today as the day it happened. It was such an emotional thing to me. But then I've gone along and had goats that I liked that I had to kill. And they were killed for a purpose, for food. And it still bothers me to see an animal die. I don't like to see an animal die. When I'm out hunting, if I've shot a deer and walk up to it, my heart is heavy. Because that was a life. And God wants us to respect life. Not treat it lightly. Like abortions and wars and all the things we do that disrespect life. Thou shalt not kill, do any murder. Because you're shedding the blood of a human being, and that life is precious to God. <coughs> it may be an object of your hate, but it's precious to God. And He wants you to respect any life. So, He gives this instruction that we don't eat the blood. That's disrespect for it. Put it in your 
body and turn it to waste, if you will. No, drain it on the ground. What about Christ's blood? Where did it go? On the ground. And that is the blood that drained on the ground that we have the greatest respect for that there is. It died. He died. But the fact he was willing to pour it out and die, and the blood then die, is the greatest respect we can show for anything human that's ever been done. That's why this is back here. You shall not eat it. You shall pour it upon the earth as water. You shall not eat it. Repeat it. That it may go well with you and with your children after you. So then he talks about it to give us an idea of why. Things will go well with you. If you do not respect life, do not respect the life of other human beings, then things will not go too well with you. If you're full of hate and animosity and dislike and go through life with a frown on your face, things will not go too well with you. And with your children after you. So this is something that is passed down. If you don't have the proper respect for life, then you won't have the proper respect for your children's lives, and mankind just goes to hell in a handbasket, which is where we are. When you shall do that which is right in the sight of the eternal, only your holy things which you have and your vows you shall take and go to the place which the eternal shall choose. So he has the context here of killing and eating animals before God, Clean animals, but don't disrespect them by eating the blood. Respect God, respect your fellow man, and blood is life. So you respect the life of other people. It's not just the red blood per se. It's the life of people that we respect. And if we respect people, we'll get along better with people and they will with us. So there's some very, very heavy spiritual understanding here about the blood. I thought, and it's been in my mind, I guess, a long time, I think I was taught at some point in childhood, growing up in the church, that you shouldn't eat the fat. So I still avoid fat. I don't think there's a scripture that says don't eat the fat thereof. Uh, somebody think of one? I, I can't. Well, the kidneys and the internal organs, some of them, yeah, it says very clearly. Huh? Yeah. Does that, that's not a fat in the rump roast. That's the fat around the kidneys. I think the reason for that being that the kidneys are a cleanser and the poisons go through them, and the fat around the kidneys uh, might have some something to do with that cleansing as well. I don't know, technically. Uh, but it doesn't say fat per se that's in your meat. 
but I've always avoided it because I thought of that. Maybe it came from that thing with the kidneys, and somebody says that meant all fat. But fat isn't the life. Fat, in fact, fat can be the death. <laughs> but it isn't the life, and it doesn't deserve the same respect that the blood does. Your fat and your blood are two different things altogether. I still don't know that eating a whole lot of fat is good for you. Uh, because if it makes you fat, then that doesn't do you much good. <coughs> I've been on a lot less food for some months now, deliberately. It didn't have to do with health, uh, per se. But I got too heavy. I got way too heavy. And I want to represent God. And I don't think Christ, when he walked this earth, was a fat man. <coughs> I just don't think he was. So I'm not talking to you because most of you are too skinny anyway. But uh, I don't want to be fat. I don't want to represent God as one of his children and look like Dumbo. Uh, that just is not there. So I've been working very hard at losing some weight. I've done this before and then gained it back. But I've realized I had to change some habits so that it wouldn't come back on. Now, it's still in the process of losing, and I've dropped about 25 or more. and going to drop a bunch more. But that isn't the test. The test is, do I get it off and then change some habits to keep it off. Don't eat so much. <laughs> Just don't eat so much. And be careful what you do eat. That might tend to put it there. But it happens, you know. Things happen to us. We let things get out of control. And whether it be that or something else, we have to buckle down and control it. Because that can become idle Worship as well. I want more to eat. Well, God said you should take care of your body, and if you eat more, it's going to cause problems for your body. <coughs> so just food itself, even good food, which I tend to eat mostly, even good food can be bad for your body if you have too much of it. That's why he said don't be a glutton. And don't want to look like a glutton. So... What do you do? You cut back. So I done quit preaching to you and started preaching to me here. That's okay. How did I get tied up with a whole bunch of skinny people? Well, there's a few of you got a little on you, but not too bad. Anyway, I'll quit meddling here and get on with this. Offer your offerings, burn offerings 27 to God, the flesh, the blood upon the altar of the Lord your God, and the blood of your sacrifices shall be poured out upon the altar of the eternal your God, and you shall eat the flesh. So you bring the offerings to God, and of the animals that you have there, uh, some of them you can eat the flesh at the feast, because that's what you're killing them basically for. Observe and hear all these words which I command you, that it may go well with you and with your children after you forever. When you do that, 
<coughs> which is good and right in the sight of the eternal. And what he's talking about here is not just everything that God says, but in this context, and he repeats it several times, that it go well with us, he's talking about going up to keep the feast and to take our tithe of our animals and our crops with us. And if it be way too far for you and you can't herd them there or get them all there without spoilage or whatever, and you can't get to the feast, and sometimes because of health and age and so on, people just can't even if it's not too far away. Then, he says, you can do it at home. But you still need to do the worship of God at home as best you can without being together with the rest of his people. So he does allow for health and distance and so on. So this is the things might go well with us in verse 29 then. When the eternal your God shall cut off the nations uh, from before you where you go to possess them and you succeed them and dwell in their land. So he's saying this is to be continued actually really started and continued once they went into the land, which they were uh, poised to do before too long here. Take heed to yourself that you be not snared by following them after that they be destroyed from before you, and that you inquire not after their gods, saying, How did these nations serve their gods? I'm curious. Even so will I do likewise. We need to be very, very careful with religion. That's what he's saying here. These people that were there, that they were going in to possess the land, had different religions, different doctrines, different gods. And he says, don't be curious about those. Don't be curious about how they worship. Worship God according to this book and set your curiosity about these other things aside. That's a main reason we shouldn't be listening to Protestant preachers, reading uh, articles by uh, people who say they're Christians who don't know God and don't have His Word that they're using all the time. <coughs> Some in the church over the years have said, well, they're, they're talking about God, they're talking about Scripture. Yes, they may be. But they don't put all the scriptures together, and they string them together wrongly. They put little twists on them, like Satan does, to make them just a little bit off. And Satan doesn't have to have you too far off. Just a little bit off is enough for him to keep you out of the kingdom of God. That's all his purpose was. And you can be deceived so very, very easily and not even know it. Don't see it coming. Because you're listening to people who twist things a little bit. What would have happened to Christ and to you and me if he listened to Satan who only twisted it a little bit? Everything that Satan used on Christ was absolutely true. He just quoted Scripture to him. That's all he did. He didn't expound it. He didn't say, this is what this means to you. He just read Scripture to Christ in order to get him to stumble and fall. But he 
was reading the Scriptures with things that didn't quite apply the way he was thinking. Yes, God says he'll protect you. He says that if you eat something poison, it won't kill you. A snake bites you, it won't kill you like Paul did. So he says, jump. God will save you. He says he will. Well, what about don't tempt the Lord your God? See, he used scripture on him. And he didn't take too much of a twist that Christ could have gone for. Real easily. But he thought of another scripture that rounded it out and gave you a better view of what God wants, not just Satan's one scripture, which would twist things around and tempt God. We have to be very, very careful what we listen to and hear. I get on the news, internet news, and I've said this before and I'll say it again. If it has a prophetic uh, feel about it, or is by a minister, I very rarely will even look at it. I will not read it or watch it. Because I know that prophecy is all scrambled among all these people. And I know that the Scripture is also scrambled with these people. And they don't understand what we do. And I don't want them to get some little thought in my mind, however small it might be, that's taken me the wrong direction. Because Satan has taken them the wrong direction, and they'll do the same thing with me. <coughs> now, you're smart enough, and I'm smart enough, that a lot of those things we'll see, and we'll say, well, that's clearly wrong, I'm not going there. That isn't the one that can get you. The one that can get you is the one that seems innocuous. It doesn't seem like a big deal. It has a ring of truth about it one way or another. But it has a little twist. And that's all Satan wants is to twist you enough to keep you out of the kingdom of God. Don't let him do it. So, how do you keep him from doing doing it? You don't expose yourself to that stuff. Because it may be, a lot of it, 90% true or 99% true even. But if 1% is bad and the wrong 1% attaches itself to you, that was a risk you shouldn't have taken. Be careful. Can't go wrong reading this book, but you can go wrong real fast listening to Protestants or Catholics or Muslims or whoever you want to listen to. Don't be curious about their beliefs or their gods. Take heed to yourself. You be not snared by following them. Verse 31, you shall not do so unto the eternal your God. God takes it as something against Him if we listen to those who are not of Him. He takes it personally. Don't do that to me, He says. Don't listen to others who don't have the truth. 
be sure you found the truth and be sure who you're listening to and be very, very careful not to listen to someone you shouldn't. I'm emphasizing this because I've seen it over decades where a lot of people keep listening to Protestant preachers and thinking they're, well, I'll get a little out of it. He's just talking about love, so it's okay. It's not the right kind of love through the Spirit of God that he's talking about. It may be close, but there's always something wrong about it. Be very careful. Don't do that to God. He's taken his time, his energy, his effort to cause to be written down the true religion. And he's even trained people to teach us in the true religion. But we need to be very careful that we get the right teachers. But they're really teaching us what this book says and not what they want it to say. Some of it's pretty easy. God says you don't have to keep the commandments. Oh boy, good. Whew. I can do anything I want. Pretty simple. But most people have bought it. Okay? Most people who claim to be Christians have bought that line. What a huge deception. Huge. And they got it by listening to Methodists and Baptists and Church of Christ and Catholics and whoever. Don't do that to God. For every abomination to the eternal which he hates have they done to their gods. For even their sons and their daughters they have burnt in the fire to their gods. There are a lot of Americans who have no problem with abortion. Pro-choice. The woman's body, she can do as she pleases. She can shed the blood of her own baby. And she's quite willing to do so because she doesn't want the thing. It's a bother to her. It's trouble to her. It interferes with selfishness. So we kill them. Shed their blood. What's the difference? Whether you shed its blood as it's born, or wait until it gets a little older and then kill it. Or wait until it's 70 years old and say, Man, I'm not good for anything anymore. Euthanize it. <clears throat> God doesn't want us shedding blood. The life is in the blood, and life is precious to God. Your life is precious to God. Do you think of yourself as precious? Every one of you is precious. The life, the breath, the blood is precious to God. He doesn't want us killing each other. What things soever I command you, observe to do it. You shall not add thereto, nor diminish from it. Do it just like he says do it. Don't add your own twist. And the last warning he gives us in the book of Revelation is don't take from it at all or add to it at all, or you won't be in the kingdom of God. So he wrote it the way he wanted it to be kept. Now man has translated it. In some cases he's made some bad translations. But what God caused to be wrote to begin with is absolutely true. 
no shadow of fault with it at all. Now, since man has messed with it to some degree here and there, we have to be willing to sort that out and find out where they've mistranslated some things to put their own belief system on it. So, yes, it is important at times to look up a word and see what did that word originally mean. Because the way man messed it up can be a problem. But what God wrote, there's no problem with. So then the idea is to determine what he did write. What did this word mean in the ancient Hebrew or Greek? Sometimes when you have ten scriptures that say this, and one that they use some, that's been mistranslated to say all these are wrong and this one's right, all you got to do is look that up and see what it was originally. And you're going to find generally that it fits with the other scriptures. If you get it right, it'll always fit. So we have to do due diligence at times to be sure that's what God really said or what man put on it. That we have to check out. But find out what God said and do what God said. And don't add to or take from it. That's a pretty heavy responsibility. That's to be a good steward of what he's given us. That's his word. When he says be a good steward, he talks about a lot of different things. And being a steward of this word, a good steward, is one of the most important stewardships he's given us. You take care of my word. You don't let anybody add to it. You don't take from it. You take good care of it. This is God's word. Hold it close. Read it. Understand it. Because that's how you become more like God. That's how you build your relationship with him. When you start making friendship with somebody, some human being, wherever, you just met them. You don't know them from Adam's apple. But you slowly get to know them. You spend a little time around them. You'll learn more about them. You'll either like them more or you'll like them less. You'll either get close with them or you won't get close with them, depending on the relationship that does or does not develop. And it's the same with God. We begin to know Him. And then we try to get to know Him better. We build a relationship, a tight friendship, a tight family relationship with Him so that we're comfortable with each other. And if we walk together, we walk together in accord and in agreement. But if we start not doing what He says here, we begin to part paths with God and we're not as close. I like to pray when I feel close to God or pray until I feel close to God because I like that relationship and I like to get it to the point where I feel He's really hearing me. I'm not just talking to the ceiling. And you know, you can know the difference when He's really hearing you and when you're just blabbering because your heart's not in it. And you may be praying for things you shouldn't be praying for or don't need to and leaving out things that you do need to be. So you want to build that closeness with Him 
so that when you're talking to him, you feel close to him. And he feels close to you. And he tells us when we seek him with our heart there in Jeremiah 29, Seek him, and you will find him, and he will be found of you. That's one of my favorite scriptures. Because it shows that you make an effort to be close to him, and he is at the same time he sees that, making an effort to be close to you. God wants to be close to me? Yes, he does. So he tells you, get close to me, and I will get close to you. Now that's backscratching all the way. That's good stuff. Build that relationship. Don't leave out anything he says. Walk as he walked. Think as he thought. That's all Moses is trying to tell us back here. He's trying to get that through to us on a very physical level about the feast and food and drink and so on. But that's the whole point, is walk with God. Enough for today.